All right, welcome back to another episode of Legendary Life. And today I have a legend for you. His name is Jesse Elder. And I asked him to come on because I kept hearing his name come up. I've already been a fan of Jesse. I get his awesome email mind vitamins and I've heard interviews with him and... I know he's a martial artist like I am, and we have so many similarities, but he just kept coming up in conversations with a lot of people I respect. So I had to reach out to him. Jesse, thank you so much for being on Legendary Life today. Ted, I'm really looking forward to this, man. I think we've got our work cut out for us today. And for the listener, all I can say is that I'm sure your tuition, whatever you invested for this podcast, your tuition covers your entire seat. Today, you're only going to need the edge. But I'm pumped. I love it, man. And before we get to that, because I want to get into your story, you have a really interesting background before you blew up into this entrepreneur who teaches other entrepreneurs, but you have a quote for us. Can you share that, please? Yeah, very simply. This is applicable for entrepreneurs, but anybody who wants to improve their life, bottom line is you've got these things called desires and you can't be without your desires, but we live in a world that really negates the idea of having desires and says that you shouldn't have them or that somehow your desires aren't right. You should work for what somebody else tells you. And I'm here to say, man, that your desires, that's life coming through you. Your desires are how reality comes into being. And so your desires matter more than you know. And the purpose of your existence is to make those desires real. That's why you are here in this physical body. That's why you have a life is so you can bring your desires to life. I love that. And it's so cool because so many of us, especially here in the US, we feel like what we want isn't right. It's not good to want more money because rich people are assholes. Or it's not good to, for especially for men, to want to have sex with a bunch of different women or whatever it is, to go out right. party, in fact. But I do want to challenge you because I looked at Instagram this morning. I followed Dan Bilzerian. Are you familiar with who that is? I know who he is, yes. Yeah, I don't know him, but I do know of his notoriety. He's actually staying a block away from me at the Sitai, which is a hotel here in Miami Beach, block away from where I live. So what about him, man? Is it okay for him to do all those drugs and to hang out with porn stars and go shooting and blow things up? Is it okay for me that he does that? Or is it okay in the general scheme of humanity? Well, I guess what I'm saying is a lot of guys look up to him and say, I desire that. So, and you said this thing about desire and saying that it's okay. So I just wanted to throw a little challenge in there. What about people who want what he wants? Got it. Well, and I think that's a brilliant question. And what I would just kind of counter back with is there's not a one of us except Dan Bilzerian who knows what Dan Bilzerian's life is actually like. And so what he's projecting and what he's portraying may not be what he's actually like. And he runs the risk, just like you do, just like I do, of being a celebrity and having your life kind of put out there for everybody to see. And the truth is, not you, not me, nobody on this planet except for Dan knows what his actual experience of life is. And so that's one caveat. The second is, if somebody does want to and make money playing poker, want to drink like a fish, want to do drugs, want to hang out with adult porn stars, wants to do all of that, there's actually 
nothing anywhere in the universal law that says that they couldn't or shouldn't do that. And so I'm a huge proponent of unconditional acceptance and just accepting whatever it is that people want to do given where they're at. And if I feel that it's distasteful or that it's not appropriate or not serving me or my purpose, then I will absolutely be the first one to distance myself, disassociate myself and go focus on something else that's really cool. Uh, But I have no need for Dan or for anybody else to stop doing what they're doing so that I can then feel the way that I want to feel. And that's a really core part of my message. Man, I love the way this interview is going already. You broke it down so beautifully because there are a lot of people in your background and everything, but this is such an important thing that you said. It's like people almost like that's how they're getting off is by criticizing the hell of other people. It happens in my industry, which is the fitness industry, a lot of the more knowledgeable, scientific, evidence-based people hate Food Babe or they dislike Dave Asprey, and in part because of their level of success. And it's that's such a powerful message to let people be who they are. You're not going to stop them and saying something negative on Facebook or even a YouTube video or whatever, writing a blog post doesn't really do much. It may actually make them more popular. So just live your life and distance yourself from people who you don't find that you have the same values as and go focus on the things that you want. I love that. Can you expound on that a little bit more? Because there are some people who listen to this show who maybe have the hater vibe sometimes and not being critical in a constructive way, but in a negative way. Yeah, that's really awesome, Ted. And you opened up some really good loops there. And you mentioned both Vani, Hari, aka Food Babe, and Dave Asprey. I was actually having dinner with both of them about two weeks ago. And so we were talking about this very thing about how easy it is for people to start to quote unquote hate on someone when they're successful. And that's really just a very easy way for people to feel important is when they start criticizing. So it's really easy to have an opinion. And and I was talking to Vani about her recent criticism and, and there's a lot of people that are starting to question her and all this. And my perspective is the reason why they are is because she's actually having an impact. She's actually created more change with some of the bigger companies in terms of them removing ingredients. She's created more change in the last 18 months than just about any other single person who doesn't have a political or lobbying background. And I think that this backlash is a result of her creating some change. So I think that that's awesome. But I asked her, I said, how are you dealing with all the criticism? She's just so sweet. She just kind of looked at me. She said, I disabled all my Google alerts that had my name on them. So I just don't (laughs) focus on it. And Dave and I were actually talking about something similar for people that are coming out with their own version now of his label, Bulletproof Coffee. And he certainly doesn't claim to invent the recipe, but he certainly popularized it. And there's all sorts of other coffee now that's coming, all these other things. And Dave's just got it kind of dialed in where he said, man, I can only do what I do and I just don't waste any energy on otherwise. I've always felt that way. Even when I was running the martial arts schools, we had eight martial arts schools around the country and I had great partners and just a really great team. And people would ask us, how do you stay on the top of the industry? Not only get, but how do you stay in the 1% of your industry? And essentially what they're asking is, what do you think about your competitors? And I had somebody in a seminar ask me that one time. He said, Mr. Elder, tell me what you think about their competitors. What do you think about your competitors? And the answer was just immediate. I just looked at him. I said, I don't. I love it. I just don't ever think about my competitors. I don't have any. Why? There's no other Jesse Elder. No. I mean, if somebody wants to shave their head and grow a crazy beard and have nutty blue eyes and just channel this spiritual shit and just do it in a way that's really practical, cool. (laughs) Go for it. But 
I don't have time for that. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that too. And I don't know if it's the martial arts mentality and training and just perspective on life. Like the world's kind of crazy and it's been crazy and it's not going to be this perfect place that everybody seems to want it to be. At least that's what they're, oh, you know, these people, they're getting away with this. It's like, man, relax and get your message out there. And I may have just answered the question I'm about to ask you, but before we move on, I want to know if someone does have some hate and they're like, man, this person's getting away with that. What would you suggest for that person to do instead of doing the counterproductive, making negative comments on Food Babe's blog, whatever, or hating on Dave Asprey, which just, I've interviewed Dave and someone was trying to call me out on Twitter, kind of a nobody, so I never even responded to him. He wasn't challenging in a respectful way. He was just acting up. So I didn't feel like it deemed a response. But what do you have to say to that person who feels like my heart's in the right place? Maybe I shouldn't be hating, but I don't know what else to do. What should they do, Jesse? Really great question. And the answer is that there are two ways to have the tallest building in town. One is you can make sure that your building is constantly under construction. And number two is you can go around tearing everybody else's buildings down. And so when somebody feels hooked into that negative energy and they feel hooked into the need to either change someone else's behavior or call attention to someone else's approach that they don't agree with. The only reason they're doing that is because they think they'll feel better once that happens. And so everything that people do is in an attempt for one central thing, and that's just to feel better. That's all, as human beings, that's all any of us want 24-7 is just to feel better. For this person who says, yeah, I don't want to be a hater. I don't want to be so negative. I don't want to be so critical then my answer is, is just stop. It really is as simple as that. And it takes a little bit of awareness and a little bit of determination. But when you realize how fucking fun it is to be uplifting, and when you realize how fun it is to measure your own progress in areas that you've decided are important, you very quickly lose interest whatever other people are doing. And we live in a spectator society, man. We live in a society that is absolutely engineered for people to be entertained and sedated by watching other people's accomplishments. And when you start to have your own accomplishments, small though they might be, you know, little hinges swing big doors. And when you stack up enough small wins on your own on a daily basis, dude, you complete a week of writing down all the things that went good for you that week. After 30 days, you have an entirely new life. Wow. That is such a powerful message. And I hope you're listening to this and you've got that thing going on where you want to be tearing down other people's buildings instead of building your own. This is exactly what you need to do, what Jesse just said. So start taking action, start building your own mission right with you, man. It's such a huge high to help people and to uplift people instead of being so argumentative. I don't have the energy for it. I love the way this interview is going already, Jesse. You said something really important there, Ted. I, I don't have the energy for it either, uh, but I remember when I did. Very and I important. remember what it's like to think, you know, the whole world would be better if. I mean, I was a vegetarian for 13 years. And first couple of years, I thought the whole world needed to be a vegetarian. And I made damn sure to tell him. <laughs> and then when I first yeah. became an entrepreneur, it was so freeing, even though it was scary as hell. It was so freeing. And I thought, man, everybody needs to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and after a while, I just realized that all I was doing is projecting my own enthusiasm into the world. And I just chilled out a lot. And I just started to realize, you know what? Everybody's absolutely entitled to their opinion. They're totally entitled to their experience because I can't have their experience. And I learned that the greatest freedom in life, this is really powerful. The greatest freedom in life is allowing other people to have their own experience. 
I love it. I understand what you're saying. At least I think I do, right? Maybe I don't. But can you expound on that a little bit for the person who's saying, well, the greatest freedom is that people do what they want? I don't get it. Well, you really can't control anybody else's experience. So if you, not you, but if somebody feels compelled to control other people's experience, then they will never actually be free themselves. Yeah. And since you can't control other people's experience, you can either dedicate your life to trying to control other people's experience, which is an illusion, or you can just allow them the freedom to have their own experience and you go about having your own experience. And you know what? You will automatically effortlessly align with those people. I know that sounds like a kind of a woo-woo term. If you just look at the, you know, the law of averages, look at who you like spending time with and who you don't like spending time with and just do more of that. Do more of hanging out with people that you love and less time around people that you don't. It really is that simple. Yeah. Great start to this interview. Well, Jesse, some people may be listening and be like, wow, this guy's pretty deep, pretty cool, pretty insightful, but I've never heard of them before. I know who you are. I've heard your story many times. Can you talk about your background, how you grew up and how you became this person? In case you don't know Jesse, right now he helps entrepreneurs who are already successful reach a higher level. And we'll get into that later because that may be hard to wrap your head around if you're like, man, people who are already doing great, how do you help them become better? Is that just making more money? But let's get into your story first because it's a cool one. Yeah. When I was a kid, I started martial arts and really loved it. But that wasn't the real lessons came from. The lessons really came from some other experiences that happened when I was growing up. And in a nutshell, I was 11 years old and I was sitting in a federal courtroom And the jury came out to give the verdict for my dad. And the jury comes out and they said to the judge, they said, Your Honor, we have found the defendant, Jack Elder, that's my father, guilty on 13 counts of aiding and abetting illegal aliens because he had taken a job as a director for Halfway House for Salvadoran refugees in the 80s. And that was illegal. And he was very outspoken about the fact that even though it was illegal, he felt a sense of duty and sense of conscience to help people who you know, were not coming here because they needed a job. They were coming here because if they stayed in their homes, they're going to be killed. And the lesson that I got from that is that even though you may face significant consequences, if you know something's right and you really get clear on that and you know that you know, then it doesn't matter if anybody else goes along with you or not. It doesn't matter if anybody else agrees with you. You have to do what you feel is right. And that was a really powerful lesson for me, an 11-year-old. And I remember the verdict in the courtroom and doing the math in my head and 13 counts times seven years in federal penitentiary. And I realized that I'm never going to see my dad again. So I grew up really quick. I grew up kind of in that moment. I realized that I, it was going to be up to me to take care of my mom and my brothers at that time. And as it turns out, he ended up not getting that sentence. He got five months in a halfway house in San Antonio, a couple miles from the, where we lived. And so it was kind of the best of all worlds, but I still got the lesson. Yeah. And that lesson really continued to play out through my life. And I've also never had a traditional education, so I've never been to school and I've never taken a test. Actually, I've never studied any subject that I wasn't absolutely fascinated with. So I don't have the experience of maybe conformity as a strong word, but I just don't have the experience of being bored with learning because I never had to study something that I didn't love. You are so lucky. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I feel that way now. I didn't feel that way when I was in my teens and early 20s when everybody else is saying, where did you graduate? Where did you go to college? And I say, well, I didn't. And the immediate dismissal was that, okay, well, you must not be educated. That was challenging. What I realize now 
now is that every single one of us, regardless of our painful or pleasurable past experiences, actually none of that really matters anywhere near as much as popular psychology or therapy would have us believe. And, and people are spending millions of dollars, billions actually every year on pharmaceuticals and therapy and all these approaches to try and, and undo something that was done when they were a kid or, or you know when they went through a tough time. And people will talk about, if I could just get to the bottom of the problem. And I'm here to say there's no fucking bottom. There isn't a bottom to the problem. You're never going to get to the root of it because there is no root. There's only directions of focus and if you're focused on something that happened 10, 20, 30 years ago and you're focusing on it, it makes you feel bad. Well, when are you focusing on it? You're doing that focus now. And if you will simply begin to focus on only, I know this is a radical controversial message, but if you will focus only on the things that interest you, motivate you, fascinate you and energize you to the strategic ignorance of everything else your life very quickly becomes a living masterpiece, a beacon, and you become a lighthouse for other people to follow. Wow, that is just a powerful, powerful point. And man, the whole thing with focusing on the past, I mean, I don't want to make this about me or my story, but part of what I've been through is my sister and I, we've been through a lot with my brother kidnapped and murdered, and she actually took her life. She committed suicide a few years back. And one thing that was very different about her approach and my approach to what we had been through with my mom, with my brother, with growing up with alcoholic parents. And she joined Al-Anon. She got into groups that just focused on the past, focus on the hurts. She get together with people and with these like feminist chicks who are really just blaming men and blaming everybody else instead of saying, you know what, fuck all that. Okay, blame whatever, whoever's fault. People are just kind of, people are messed up. They're doing the best they can and there's bad people out there. But let's just focus on what we want to create, like what you said, I definitely can't say it as good as what you did, but I think that is just such a powerful lesson that if you're in a situation and you're focusing on it, it's not going to get you where you want. It's not going to heal your pain. It's not going to push you forward. What Jesse said about, you said it so wonderfully, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it, but it's just focusing on what inspires you, motivates you to the strategic ignorance of everything else. That Absolutely. is one of the best messages I've ever heard and something that I've done in my life, although I didn't know I was doing it. If you look at a lot of your success, Ted, and I really appreciate you sharing the, some of the details about what's happened in your experience and the experience of your family, but if you look at your own success, those times in your life, past or present, the times in your life where you're getting more of the things that you want is because that's what's active in your consciousness. And there's simply nothing that you can't go back and change an event, but you can certainly stop telling it in a way that's painful. And I often say that there's a giant difference between pain and suffering. Pain is a physical experience. Pain is a part of life. And pain is actually quite beautiful because it's the one thing that gets our attention no matter what. And attention is the greatest currency in the universe. That's why we say pay attention. You're literally giving, you're spending, you're investing universal currency with your attention. So pain, that's the only thing that will get our attention no matter what's happening. But once we have our attention focused, once we're paying attention, now we are at choice. And now we get to exercise our God-given ability of free will. And we get to choose 
What am I going to focus on? What is this going to mean? And who do I want to become as a result of this experience? So pain is a total gift. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering is pain that's accompanied by a dramatic story. (laughs) And when you stop telling the dramatic story and you start telling a story that reflects the lessons, not just the pain, then the painful experience stops being painful because it's in the past and it becomes beautiful. It becomes a lesson. Jesse, I couldn't agree more. And I just read that on one of your emails recently. If you haven't been to Jesse Elder's website, go there. It's jesseelder.com. Sign up for his email list. Man, you have these short but powerful emails that I really appreciate the value that's in my inbox. So make sure you go there. And Jesse, thank you for what you said about me and sharing my story. I really appreciate that as well. And something that a story that you and I have in common is our experience with martial arts, how it's made us grow. And you have a story about a time where you were struggling financially, trying to teach martial arts, you were bouncing in a club to make ends meet, to get enough money to pay your bills. And you got into this thing that the bar had where it was fight night. And can you talk about that experience and we can dive into it a little bit deeper? Yeah, I will with one condition. And that is that anybody who's listening to this does not think that they have to go into a fight club in order to gain universal truth. (laughs) Sure. That you can absolutely get the lesson from your own experience. And with that being said, I I was uh, pretty much nailed it. I was bouncing at night. I was teaching martial arts during the day at this after-school program. And I was really just trying to figure out a lot of stuff. I was really healthy. I was training all the time. But emotionally and, and spiritually, I wasn't very healthy. I was really in a lot of pain and conflicted. And that's a lot of what drove me to, to fight in the first place, kind of vent some of that and deal with it. So my dream was to open a martial arts school. And so I was saving money to do that. The club that I was bouncing at decided to have these fight nights every Thursday night. And they'd roll out these math on the dance floor and literally, this is crazy, they literally would have two clipboards at the bar. They would have a clipboard that would be all the drink specials and then they would have a clipboard where you could put your name down to fight. And frequently, people took advantage of those clipboards in that order. (laughs) So guys would go in there, they'd drink and then they'd go, I can fight and they'd sign up. So just imagine, no rules, no time limit, no weight class, no safety equipment or very little safety equipment. And basically you just get in there and, and it's the last guy standing. So I went in there because I thought, if I don't do this now, I'm always going to wonder what what this was like. And so I wanted to experience that. And I was also partly motivated by the prize money, because if I won the prize money, that was going to you know go towards my martial arts education and my school. So I kept fighting and I kept winning and I kept fighting, kept winning. And it led up to the end of the season. And there was another guy that had been kind of fighting in all these other fights. And so everybody knew that he and I were going to be the ones to match up at the end. So I hardly slept at all the night before, man. My nerves were just like on totally alert. And I lived in this dingy little house. I had a couple of roommates and I remember dragging the mattress because I had the least money of all the roommates. So I got the smallest, shittiest room and it was upstairs and it was hot and there was no air conditioning. And I would drag my mattress over to the window so I could have fresh air. And I remember trying to sleep the night before, just tossing and turning. The mattress was so old, man. It smelled like cat piss. It was <laughs> it was just horrible. So I wake up the next morning, didn't sleep very well, but I'm just, I'm on edge. I'm ready to go. 
So I kind of went through the motions that day and drove to the club that night and I parked in the back and I walked in. And as soon as you walk in the club, it's an atmosphere that's so, let's just say it's pretty unique. You walk in and you smell beer and sweat and perfume from the ladies that were there. And then you also smell this like tinge of adrenaline. And it's just a really, really unique aroma. <laughs> so I go back to the room where I'm warming up and said hello to some of the people that were there and didn't really go out into the club very much. And I just stayed back there just kind of meditating and getting ready for the fight. And then I hear the music start and they start announcing my opponent's name and then announcing all of his knockouts that he's had. And this guy was about 40, 45 pounds heavier than I was. And I just watched him demolish people throughout the season, right? I mean, he's just sure. kind of just awesome, awesome kickboxer, great striker. And my thing was more combination, jujitsu, taekwondo, different things. So no way did I want to stand and bang with this guy. So they're announcing him and, and finally the music dies down and then they start my music and I walk out there and I was- What song did you walk out to? Dude, I was like Van Halen or something. It was, uh, <laughs> I love it. Because okay. when I was a kid, I grew up listening to, to uh, Van Halen, and I liked it even though it kind of had, had fallen, you know, it wasn't as popular anymore. But hey, did the trick for me. So yeah. I'm going out there, and it's like Panama playing. So I walk out there, and Ted, I was not prepared to see the number of people that were out there. There was literally, the club was packed. Everybody had wanted to see these two champions duke it out. And I was not prepared to see all my students that were there. I had my students, I had their parents, you know, we, there was like kids there. My whole family was there. My coworkers had taken off work just so that they could watch. And the place is packed. So I walk into the ring and we go and, and real quick, he gives the rules, which is basically, you know, it's five minute rounds. You're going to do three rounds. We go back to our corners and the bell rings and, and it was on. If you're listening to this, you've ever had a moment where you know that your life is about to change, but you're not exactly sure how or what's going to happen. You just get the sense that something big is going on. And that's how I felt in the moment that bell rang. And so we start circling and I'm already playing my game plan through my head. I know what he's going to do. He's going to try and knock me out. And so I'm keeping my distance, keeping my distance. I've got my jujitsu gi and he's wearing like fight shorts and nothing else, you know, no shirt, nothing. So we go, we're circling, circling, and I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for that one moment. I know he's going to load up. He's going to commit everything, and he's going to go for the knockout. And I wanted that. I wanted him to be totally committed so that I could then shoot under, clinch, take him down, just like I'd done in training, just like I'd done with most of my other fights. So we're waiting, and sure enough, his weight shifts, his body moves. I see his right hand load up, and here it comes. And it was just like, just like training. Here comes the punch. I wait, wait just a little longer duck under, shoot in, and I secure the clinch. And the Brazilians, I was training with some Brazilians at that point, they had this great quote about fighting. The Brazilians said, once we're in a fight, we will go to the clinch. Once we're in the clinch, we will go to the ground. You are in my world then because the ground is the ocean and I am the shark and you don't even know how to swim. Yeah, I love that one. I had to travel back then because nobody was doing, jujitsu was not as widespread as it is now. And so I would literally get in my car, drive to Dallas and go do a seminar with Hoyce and Hori and Gracie. Yeah. So I was really confident in my skills. So I shoot in, I clinch and auto automatically I'm thinking, man, this is exactly what I want. So I'm holding on, I'm holding on, waiting for the time to be right to take him down. And Man, no matter what I did, he wasn't going down. I wasn't able to take him down, but I'm feeling like my grip is slipping and I can't figure out why. And all of a sudden I realize, because I smell this smell 
And his corner man had covered him completely in Vaseline. Yeah. Because they knew I was going to go for the takedown. So they covered him in Vaseline so that I couldn't take him down. And sure enough, he wriggled free and bam, I got rocked. I didn't go down, fortunately, but it was definitely the tide had turned. And I spent the rest of that fight trying to take him down unsuccessfully. A couple of times did, but I was eating so many punches and it just didn't go my way. So at the end of the match, they raised his hand. He won the fight. I go and sit back down. I look back on my life now and things could have gone either way because of what happened, not just because of the loss. You know, loss is a loss. You know, it happens. It goes to the territory sometimes. But I go to my corner and I said, something's wrong. I need you to take me to the hospital. So they put me in the back of a car and I go to the hospital and this entourage kind of goes with me. You know, it's my family and my friends and my students and, you know, they were all concerned. And so I go in the, they do x-rays and I'm laying in the hospital bed. The doctor comes in. And he says, you're really lucky that it wasn't a five-round fight. And it was only three rounds. So the reason you can't see so good, you've got this concussion. Your nose is moved over a little bit, and it shouldn't be. But the real issue and the reason you're having a hard time breathing is because your left lung is completely collapsed. And then he left. He walked out of the room. And I was just kind of sitting there by myself. I had a real gut check moment. No, I went into the fight, quite honestly, expecting to win some prize money. And now here I am. Not only did I not win the prize money, but I don't have any insurance. These medical bills that are going to be crazy. I lost in front of my entire world, basically, my family, my friends, my students. And it it was without question, it was the lowest moment of my life. And I just remember asking myself, how am I doing? There's like a real gut check. Like, how am I doing with all this? And Ted, it was so crazy, man. The answer that I get back, like so clearly, the answer I get back is I'm fine. (laughs) And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Collapsed lung, no big deal. Lost fighting for everybody. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I'm thinking, wait a minute, if I just got my ass kicked and I got destroyed in front of all these people and I'm fine. Well, who's the me that got destroyed in front of everyone? And who's the me that's fine? And boom, just like that. It was like I started getting all this insights and ideas and information. And it wasn't like some you know voice from burning bush or anything, but it was so clear. And the answer starts coming. And, it's, and the answer I get is that I have a body, but I'm not my body. And I have these thoughts and these beliefs, but I'm not these thoughts and beliefs. And I have this name, Jesse, but I'm not my name, that those are all things that I have, but that's not who I am. And and I start thinking, well, who am I? Who am I? Over and over and over, these things, ideas just keep flowing, man. It was just like an avalanche of of insights, like cosmic download, like one after the other. And it was that, that you are this energy that gets projected into a physical body for a period of decades, and that energy withdraws from the body, just like light going into a light bulb, the light bulb shines and then the energy withdraws and goes somewhere else. And then the light bulb goes dim. And that's what we are. That's what human beings are. We pop into this physical consciousness so that we can experience relativity and up and down and left and right and hot and cold and light and dark and personal preferences. And and then after a period of decades or shorter, longer for some people, we pop back out. But nothing ever happens to that energy. That energy is immortal. It's timeless. It's infinite. It always has been and it always will be. And this is the fucking revelation that I'm having in the middle of this hospital bed. And I'm just feeling better than I've ever felt in my entire life. And 
I just got it that night. I just realized that all these things that I've been afraid of, all these things that I've been so concerned about, they don't matter. And they, they're important for the purpose of making decisions and making distinctions about what do I want and what don't I want. But in terms of living and being, there's nothing more that I have to do. There's nothing more that any of us have to do. You're listening to this right now. There's nothing more you have to learn or do in order to get it. You are it, man. You are it. And I can sum up my entire philosophy, everything that I teach online in our private programs, everything that I do to work with one-on-one with entrepreneurs. And I can sum up that entire message in three words. You are enough. That's a pretty amazing story and powerful insight. And you know, it's interesting. It came after a loss, after a brutal loss with a lot on the line and something that could have potentially taken your life. Unfortunately, I never had the opportunity to get into an MMA fight. I hurt my shoulder really bad training for one. I've done a bunch of jujitsu competitions though, and I won more than I lost. But I'll tell you, the ones that changed me the most have been like what you experienced. Although my loss was much less risk, much less intense, but I learned a lot more from losing than I ever did from winning. And Mm. it inspired me to go in a new direction or to get better, to do whatever it is that I needed to do. But I want to challenge you a little bit. Before you told this, this story of yours, this crazy, powerful story where you endured all this physical punishment and came out with a new perspective on what your identity is, who you are in the universe. You said fighting is not the way to universal truth. Now for me, I would have never gone on and done all the things that I've accomplished had I not gone through the trial by fire, uh, training with a crazy Brazilian guy, training jujitsu and competing. So if you and I have learned such powerful lessons from those experiences that involved combat and you say you don't need that, well, then what do we need? And you say we're already enough, but for someone listening who says, well, you know, okay, I'm already enough. I don't feel it. I can say the words, but I don't feel it. How do you get people to feel that without going through an intense experience like what you went through? What I would say to anybody listening to this is that Every single one of us has had some form of combat. Every single one of us has had some battle that we've had to fight that maybe nobody in our life knows anything about. And that if you look for the lessons, if you look for the seeds of beauty, if you look for the seeds of truth, if you look for the seeds of power from your own combat, from your own battle, you'll find them. And so I'll stand by my statement at the beginning of the story, which is that, you know, yes, I may have found quote unquote enlightenment, or I may have found success after that experience, but I wouldn't say that I found it because of that experience. It's like someone who says, I've succeeded after years of struggle. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, But did you succeed because of years of struggle? There's a tremendous fundamental difference. Sure. Yeah. It's a great point. Well stated. And you answer questions like a true martial artist when I love your approach to the way you think and the way you change things around are so clear. You said also something else that struck me when you coach people, when you talk to people, when you run programs, when you even write your emails, everything is so short, concise is a better word actually, and clear. 
So there's a level of clarity that you have that I respect because of that, because I feel that's something I'm like, you know, I talk too much. I probably write too much. I want to get more clear and more concise and only say what I need to. So I really appreciate that about you, Jesse. Well, appreciate you saying that. And in both of our cases, for you as a teacher, for myself as a teacher, I think our job is to say as little bullshit as possible. (laughs) Yeah. And... And when you strip away the extraneous, when you strip away the unuseful, what's left is really, really very small amount of material. Yeah, I love it. And so many people overcomplicate things. That's their right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's one of the things that attracted me to you and your message so much. It's like, man, this guy is so clear, right? He's just saying the things that need to be said and, and cutting out all the extraneous, like you said. Uh, can I address something real quick about that, Ted? Of course. The whole, as I've gotten to see more and more of the personal development industry, um, you know, without indictment or without judgment, because I think everybody's absolutely doing the best they can to serve their purpose and to fulfill their purpose. But this is what I see. I see a lot of people, teachers and students alike, that are making an entire life, an entire career out of really, really, really simple, fundamental truths. And so I don't ever intend to spend 12, 14, 16 hours a day at trying to find simpler and better messages because like, truth is truth, man. And I have shit to do. Like I've got a life to live. I got travel that I want to go on. I got people I want to meet and hang out with. I've got stuff that I want to learn and I got workouts I want to hit and I got a home that I want to make more beautiful and I got parties I want to throw. And I, I mean, I got things to do. And if it takes 12 days of total immersion to get all this truth done, like, man, then I'm probably like really failing as a teacher. That's a really important point. Just thinking like I'm kind of drawn to the longer things for some reason, but are they necessary? And that's something that just you brought up in my mind right now. It's a very, very good question. Well, learning itself is pleasurable when you're doing things that you love to do. I mean, learning itself is a lot of fun. But at some point, we've got to ask ourselves, are we just engaged in mental masturbation? Are we just learning for the sake of learning? And especially for entrepreneurs, this is what happened. I mean, heck, everybody listening to this can probably fill in the quote, right? You should work smarter, not... Yeah. yeah, we've all heard that. And so guess what happens to 99 point, well, this is a bullshit statistic, but 99.99% of the entrepreneurs or the people out there, we hear that we're supposed to work smarter, not harder. So you know what we end up doing? We end up working really, really, really hard at getting really smart. Yeah, interesting. Never thought about it that way, Jesse. So we invest all of our time and our energy and a lot of money at working at ostensibly go work smarter. It's just a repetition of the greatest educational lie in the world. The greatest educational lie is the greatest knowledge is outside of you. Bullshit. Greatest knowledge is inside of you. You just got to tap in, tune into it, learn to trust it and create some new evidence for yourself that that's the ultimate answer. Just most of us don't have that evidence. We don't have enough evidence to suggest that following our heart's desire is practical, so we don't do it. We don't have enough evidence to suggest that following your intuition is actually the really smart thing to do. Most guys don't have enough evidence to suggest that if they would have just gone up and talked to that girl instead of being scared and being a little boy and being afraid of rejection, they don't know that that would have changed not only their life, but it would have changed her life. And yet those guys that have that experience know the power and the beauty that comes when a man is actually a man, not a little boy with a beard, but is a man. And he goes up to a woman and he says, hi, and he uses the greatest pickup line on earth. Hi, my name is Jesse. 
I won't probably well for your listeners, but I'm sure <laughs> modify that. Or you go up to somebody and you say, hi, I'm Ted. And you go up and you say, hi, the reason I wanted to come and talk to you is because I think you look interesting. And I'd like to have a conversation with you. And I like me plenty. So if you also like me, that's cool. But if you don't like me, it's not going to affect me. Man, you know what I love about what you said? Because I've interviewed dating coaches and pickup artists, and at least most of them tend to be more technique-focused or definitely banter-focused. You got to say cool and fun, interesting things if you want to get her attention. But what I hear you saying, the message I hear when you just said that is you have to be a person who is clear with himself, clear what you value, clear with, about what you don't value, and okay to go up to anybody, whether it's asking a girl out or talking to a potential business partner or potential client or talking to your boss, whoever it is, and just sort of be you, be real and be okay with whatever happens as a result of that. Yes. The reason why most pickup artists fail, uh, the reason why most sales coaches fail, the reason why most coaches in general fail, and I'm not saying that they don't all have value. Everybody has value at a certain level, but it's because they do operate exactly as you said. They operate at the level of tactics and they don't have a conceptual framework or a conceptual understanding. And, and this is why my message is so brief and is so simple because I believe that everybody inherently is enough. Now, you may not be getting the results that you want. In actuality, you kind of are. You are getting the results you want. Otherwise, you would choose something different and you start getting those results. But to approach any interaction, whether it's approaching a woman, whether it's a woman in a relationship with a guy, whether you're approaching a prospect or somebody that you could potentially serve, the ultimate position is when you can come to that person with a sense of appreciation, with a sense of feeling enough as you are, because then you release them from the need to be different. They can buy or not buy. It's not going to change your life. She can say, yes, I'd like to go to dinner with you or no, I don't. And either way, it's not going to affect your sense of self and your sense of self-esteem. And then you can enjoy the most beautiful feeling that I think any two human beings can have. You can enjoy need-free connection. You know, Jesse, two things come up when you say that. Number one is who we are as people cannot make up for, uh, tactics cannot make up for who we are as people and who we are affects every area of our life. And if we're trying to learn these tactics in any area, it, we really need to come back to who we are. Second thing that comes up is it's not about adding more things like you were saying, oh, I need to learn more. Oh, I need to learn more. I need to change who I am. It's more of a process of maybe getting rid of the social conditioning, getting rid of the limiting beliefs, yes. getting rid of all the bullshit that we believe to be true that really isn't true, that's holding us back. So you we are can right. be more ourselves. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Uh, dude, I, I think you just summed it up perfectly. <laughs> it's when Michelangelo was talking about David, right? The sculpture of David. He just said, I just took away everything that wasn't the statue. Yeah. And so the same thing for, for anybody listening to this. I mean, you wouldn't be listening to this far into the interview, you know, 56 minutes, 37 seconds in of this conversation. And now here we are arriving at this universal truth. The universal truth is there's nothing more that you need in order to be worthy. The fucking fact that you were born proves that you're worthy because nothing blinks into existence. Nothing becomes manifest out of the unmanifest 
without a reason for doing so. So the very fact that you have ears to hear this and the fact that you have a brain to think and you've got an ego, thank God you have an ego, which is your sense of self, this healthy sense of self. The fact that you've got all of those things right now means that you are worthy. You have a purpose. And even if you don't know what it is, it doesn't matter. That's part of the thrill and the adventure of life. So Ted, you put it perfectly, man. If you just can just stop doing all the shit you do that makes you feel bad, then the default state is absolute joy, absolute power, absolute clarity. Wow. I love it, man. And thank you for saying that I put it so well, because speaking to you inspired me to say that. So thank you for inspiring me, man. I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Jesse, I know you're a super busy man and you have, you know, workouts to do and parties to go to and work, all that stuff, you know, have in your amazing life. If you want to learn more about Jesse Elder, you can go to jessielder.com. Jesse, is there any other place that you'd like the listeners to go and connect with you? Yeah, I would love to connect with people on Facebook. That's actually a place that I'm, I mean, it's how you and I connected. And, yeah. and I've got a lot of great conversations that are happening on Facebook. So I would say just look up the page, Jesse Elder. And I would love if people could just send a message, just send a private message over because I'd love to hear what people got out of this interview. I mean, as, as simple as the message is, you know, I'm always looking for ways to reach people and to help people become better, more badass spiritual gangster versions of themselves. So yeah, find me on Facebook, send me a message. Let me know what you think about this interview. I love it. Badass spiritual gangster. So connect with Jesse, sign up for his email list for the mind vitamins. It's just clear, powerful messages. And I can't tell you how awesome they are to get one in the morning and to to read it and think about it. Really inspires me and makes my day better. So Jesse, thank you so much for being on Legendary Life and sharing your journey, your wisdom, your experience, and to inspire people out there to get more clear with who they are and realize that they are enough. Can you finish things off with just some final words on to spur that guy that's going to happen to into taking action in his life? Yeah, there are three fundamental actions that someone can do so that these changes will stick. Three fundamental actions. And and it may be one, it may be two, or maybe all three of these. And if you're listening to this right now, you'll automatically know which one of these you need to do, and then you've got the choice to do it or not. But the first thing that you can choose to do is you can choose to confront something that's in your life. And that means that you no longer accept what you've been putting up with. And that might be a behavior, might be a person. It might be a situation like a job. And you got you confront it. You just have the courage to confront it. And you say, nobody's going to come and save me. I'm going to do this for myself. And you go and you confront and you look clearly and maybe you have a candid conversation. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you reward, reward yourself. So many people delay rewards. And I'm not talking about gratification like escapes, like just, you know, pop open a a beer or pour yourself a drink and just go watch TV. That's not a reward. That's an, an escape or a sedation. But go reward yourself. Go buy a pair of awesome shoes or go buy yourself that car you've been waiting for. Or you know what? Forget it. If you live in a shitty environment, go find a better place to live and become the person who lives there. Reward yourself. Life is challenging sometimes. And if you don't make a pattern of rewarding yourself right now, then that day is never going to come. So the first thing that you can do is confront. The second thing you can do is reward. And the third thing, and oftentimes the most powerful, is to forgive. 
And it's a rare person that's not holding on to a grudge somewhere deep inside about something that happened back in the past, something that someone did to you, something that someone didn't do that you really wanted them to. And it might have been a family member. It might have been a friend. But holding on to that grudge really isn't serving you. It's actually blocking your energy and it's preventing you from being free. So consider forgiving. Consider forgiving that person for what they did. Acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge what happened. And then forgive them. You don't even need to do this to their face. You can just write a letter. You can write a letter and say, this is what happened. This is how it made me feel. And I've decided that I'm through with it. So I forgive you. And it can be especially powerful if the person that you're forgiving is yourself. Forgive yourself for anything that you did in the past. You did the best you could with what you had. Forgive yourself for anything that you didn't do that you wish you would have. At the end of the day, mankind only has two enemies, fear and guilt. So when you face your fears and you, when you release the guilt, then what's left is your pure, powerful, authentic self. And when it comes to forgiving, you're either forgiving or you're against it. Jesse Elder, thank you for those final powerful words. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate you, man. 